Good morning again, everyone. We are so glad that you're here with us today. It is great to see all of you. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting online. We're so happy that you have found us there. Remember, they got the chat feature there on the side uh, on our YouTube channel. You can... Uh, Ask questions that you might have. If you want someone to follow up with you from our ministry staff, we would be happy to do that. Just give us a note there, and we'll do that for you. I love that clip from The Wizard of Oz. How many of you remember the first time you saw that movie, maybe as a kid or whatever? Boy, I do. I was a young kid, and, and I can remember it's the first movie that ever really scared me. It is. I, I watched that movie as a young kid, and, and even the witch wasn't so bad, right? The Wicked Witch of the West, that, that didn't scare me too bad. You know what got me? The flying monkeys. Man, I had nightmares about the flying monkeys. And, and I just knew they were coming to get me, right? They, they were just, they were in my room. They were in my closet if I opened the door. I, had, I have two brothers and we shared a room together and, and I would wake them up scared of the flying monkeys and they slept right through it. They didn't care. So didn't bother them like it did me. But I like that scene from The Wizard of Oz because it relates to what we're talking about today. We're in a series called be encouraged, and we're going straight through 2 Corinthians. And in this passage we're going to be looking at today from 2 Corinthians 3, we're going to start with verse 7 if you want to be turning there, getting that ready. 2 Corinthians 3, verse, uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, it's ch chapter 3, verse 7 through 18 is what we're going to be looking at today. In that passage, Paul talks about a comparison between the old covenant, the old law, and how much better the new covenant is how much greater the glory of God is experienced under, new, under the new covenant. But it reminded me of how so many of us have this tendency, and we all do in the flesh, to be drawn to the things of the world, to put our hope in the things of the world, to think that that's what we can put our trust in and our confidence in, the things of the world or the people of the world, like they were trusting in the Wizard of Oz, as if he was some great and powerful being that could answer all their fears and give them all their desires. Sometimes we try to find that in the things of this world. And they always end up letting us down. They can't do that for us. Only God can do that for us. So we've got to learn to, to be drawn to the glory of God and not what we think is the glory of these temporary things on the earth or even the temporary people of the earth. Sometimes we put too much hope and trust in people instead of in God. And so today we really want to focus on the greater glory of God in the world and how the things of this world often let us down. There was a 90-year-old couple sitting on the front porch in their rocking chairs together, side by side, been married for many, many, many years. And the husband felt the romance of the moment and he looked over to his wife and he whispered into her ear, I'm proud of you. She said, huh? He said louder, I'm proud of you. She looked at him and said, well, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> Sometimes the things of this world kind of wear thin. You know, you put all your hope and confidence in those things, and they just don't get, sometimes they diminish with time instead of getting better with time. Now, a good marriage doesn't diminish, but, but we know that the things of this world often do. Here, here's what you need to know about the contrast between the two. The world offers you temporary thrills 
that are followed by boredom and emptiness and misery and death. Christ, on the other hand, offers you commitment, but it's followed by increasing joy and purpose, and it gives you eternal life. There's a big difference in those two things. Some of you right now are dealing with kids that are newly out of school for the summer, right? And, and your kids, probably like most kids in the country today, have all kinds of toys and gadgets and video games and all of that stuff, but you're going to hear these words really soon. I'm bored, right? I'm bored. Why? Because those things are so temporary in the joy and the pleasure and the excitement that they can bring to somebody's life. And then it's the law of diminishing returns kicks in. Your appetite for those things grows, but their ability to fulfill the appetite diminishes over time. And so there are a lot of people that have all the gadgets and all the toys and all the access to all the, the stuff of the world who are bored and who feel empty because they're looking to the wrong sources to fill that void, to fill that, that longing that they have inside when it can only be found in a relationship with God through his son Jesus and you experience his glory in your life, then you find that fulfillment. Jesus said this in John 10 and verse 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I came to fill your life up, to fill up the voids, to, to fill up the holes in your, in your heart and your mind that, that, are, that are causing you not to have peace and joy. I came to fulfill, to fill full your life with all that it was intended to be. You can only find that in Christ. And he's the only one who can do that for you or for me. And we keep running after all these other things, thinking this one will do it or that one will do it. And for a moment it does, and then it's gone again. Because it's not the lasting glory that comes from this relationship with God through his son, Jesus. So today in this passage, we're going to look at three things that, that Paul talks about, about this, this increasing glory that we experience in our relationship with God through Christ. Uh, the first thing we will look at today is how he talks about that increasing glory. Let's pick up in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, trans transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? I love that. He goes on. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Hey, remember, he's, he's putting up this comparison between the old law, the old covenant, and the glory that was there. And, and almost certainly, part of what he's talking about here is, is what Moses had to do after he received the law on the tablets on top of the mountain. Remember, he stayed up there, and he was in the presence of God. He had to hide behind the rock as God engraved these laws on tablets of stone. And when Moses came down, what was his face like? It was just glowing because he had been in the presence of God. 
But you know what he says here Moses had to do? He had to put a veil over his face. Some people think when they first read that it's because it was too bright. And that's not what he says the veil is for. This veil was because Moses didn't want the people to see that the glory was going to fade over time. He didn't want them to see in their leader the fading, diminishing glory on his face. So he tried to hide it with a veil to cover it up so people wouldn't see how it was gradually going away. The glory of God is far beyond anything we can imagine. But here's what he's saying. The old law and Moses receiving the old law, he received it in the presence of God, the glory of God, and it was God, the glorious God who was giving it, but the glory wasn't in the law. That's not where the glory was. The glory was from being in the presence of God. That's where the glory was. So when he wasn't in the presence of God and he only had the law, what happened to the glory? It faded. It began to diminish. And the reason Paul is making such a big deal out of this is because there are false teachers out there already who are trying to tell everybody that the only way to be right with God was to continue to keep all of the laws perfectly. Only then can you be okay with God. Now, now that sounds good. God gives us some great laws to follow. They have a purpose. There's a plan behind it. But how many of us were able to keep the law perfectly in history? Zero. Only Jesus has kept the law perfectly. So if in order to be in the glory, the presence of the glory of God and be able to dwell there and experience it. If it depends on keeping the law perfectly, how many of us have a chance to do that? None of us. We can't experience that glory long term if we have to keep the law perfectly to do it. And yet that's what the law was all about. It was to show us, expose to us our sin not to condemn us, but to show us our need for a Savior. You see, that was the whole purpose of the law. The law in itself wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't the thing that could give us the uh, ability to dwell in the glory of God. It wasn't. And yet, even today, if you were to ask many Christians, well, do you know for sure you're going to heaven and be able to dwell in the presence of the glory of God? You know what they're going to say? I sure hope so. I really want to. You know why they're saying that? It's because they're still trying to claim the old glory. They're still measuring it by how well have I kept God's laws. Only then can I be in the glory of God. Only then can I experience the glory of God. And, and sadly, Many people feel like they, they, they leave church or they, they stay away from church because they feel like that's only going to make them feel more guilty and expose their sin even more, and, and they don't want that. And to be quite frank, sometimes churches are guilty of doing that to people too. We make them feel like they can't be present, they can't participate, they, they aren't as welcome if they aren't keeping the law the way they need to. That's the old fading glory. The beauty of the new covenant is this. We know 
We know we can't dwell in the presence of God because of our sin. The beauty of the new covenant is God made this new covenant agreement with us that if we would accept his offer through Christ, he would become our righteousness for us because he did keep the law perfectly. And so if we are in Christ, then then it's his blood, it's his sacrifice, it's the payment that he made on the cross that pays in full the debt that we owe that we can't pay ourselves that removes the sin. And if the sin is removed, what can we do now? We can dwell in the presence of God's glory forever. That's why the new covenant is so much better than the old. It's not about choosing to sin willfully because we know God's grace is always going to be there. That's not what it's about. It's an understanding that God's law is there to teach us about our sin. And when we learn about our sin, we can repent of it and come through Christ and find forgiveness for it. It's not about welcoming sin into your life under the new covenant. It's not. But it's also not about having to think we've got to be perfect all the time to be welcomed into the presence of the glory of God. There's a a scene in Matthew chapter 17 in the New Testament where Peter, James, and John are taken with Jesus up on this hillside, and it's what is often called the transfiguration, okay? And there Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And here's what it says in verse 2 of Matthew 17. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light, You see, he gave them a glimpse of the glory of God there on that mountain. And he gave them a glimpse of the fact that even Moses and Elijah could stand there and be present in that glory. Not because they had kept the law perfectly either. They had not. But it's because of who was standing there with them that they could be in the glory of God. It's because it was Jesus who was standing there with them providing what they needed, just like what we needed to be in the presence of the glory of God. Now, now Peter and James and John loved that so much. They loved that experience so much. Peter spoke right up, says, let's build tents and stay here forever, God. We just want, Jesus, let us just stay here. And we, this is so great. We just want to be here forever. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not what this is for. That's not why I did this for you to do that right now. I wanted you to see the glory, to get a glimpse of the glory so you knew what you were, what you were going to, what you were going to be able to experience, what was waiting for you in Christ. You see, we can live on this earth with much greater joy and peace and excitement and confidence when we know it's the glory of God that is there for us, waiting for us, that we get to experience forever. There's some great things in this world. God created a beautiful world, didn't he? I I love so many things about this world, family, friends, uh, the beach. One of my favorite places are I love to be at the beach and I I experience God at the beach a lot. You know, it just feels so good. And and, uh, I want to talk myself into another vacation if I'm not careful. But, But here's the thing. I love the mountains. I mean, there's so many great things about this world. But, but the scripture says, The stuff of this world doesn't even compare with the glory that is yet to be revealed. It's easy to get caught up in the fun things of this world, it is, and to be attracted by the things of this world and to start trusting in the things of this world. So he's giving us this reminder not to be too attached to the things of this world. 
Later on in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, he said this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Uh, Get this, understand this. He's saying that on your journey in this earth as a Christ follower, with unveiled faces, you see, you don't have to cover up what God's doing in your life. It's not going to be diminishing. In fact, he says it's just the opposite. As you walk with Christ and you learn more of his word and you let his spirit dwell in you and produce the fruit of the spirit in your life, here's what happens. The glory of God increases in you the whole time. As you become more and more like Christ, more of his glory fills your life. See, it's not something that diminishes as a Christian. It's something that goes the other direction. It gets better and better and better. Now, if you are here and you've been a Christ follower for a long time, you know what we're talking about here. You know that when you first start out, there's a lot of excitement, but it's still hard and you're struggling. You still don't understand a lot of things. But the more you learn... The more you experience, the more you put God's word into practice in your life, the more you know you can trust him then because you've got that life experience trusting him and he's always faithful and your walk with Christ gets better. It doesn't get easier always, but it gets better over time. Too many people give up too quickly to experience the better, to get to that place where there's a maturity where there's, where there's the experience of God taking care of you through all kinds of things, good and bad. I can look back over my life, and, and if I connect the dots like I need to, I can see over and over and over again where God has done great things in my life, where he has taken care of me when I was young and foolish and ridiculous sometimes, and God carried me through. What about you? Can you go back and connect those dots too? And you can see where he's protected you, where he's brought you through things that you never thought you would get through. You can see how God has blessed you in so many ways. When you look for it, you can see it. Now, some people don't look for it, but if you'll take the time to look for it, you're going to see how your experience with God has been growing into the glory that God wants to give you through the presence of his spirit in your life. Well, the second thing he says it does for us is it gives us an increasing understanding of things and increasing understanding. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. He says, verse 12, therefore, we, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Wow. There is an increased understanding over time when you continue to learn and grow in this relationship with God in the new covenant that he gives us. He speaks of the old law as a veil. Because the problem is, if you keep yourself bound to the old law, like so many Christians today are still trying to do, when you try to keep doing that, it's just constant failure after constant failure after constant failure. It is. And, and when you're living with that all the time, there's guilt and there's shame. And, and, 
And that wears on your life. It wears on your mind. It wears on your heart. He said, even to this day when Moses is read, those who haven't come to know Christ yet are still bound to that fading, diminishing glory that doesn't take them where they really want to go. But in Christ, the veil, he says, is removed. Now you can see God's real overall plan and purpose for your life. It was never to condemn you under the law. That was never his plan. His plan was to, through the law, bring you to that place where you could find your forgiveness, your redemption, your salvation in Jesus. God wants us to, to have an increased understanding. But notice what he says about, about their minds. Their minds were made dull. That's a nice way of saying they, they never increased in their understanding. They never got to the place where they really understood life the way God wanted you to understand life. And there's so many people today because they've never accepted Christ. They, they've never been uh, brought to God through Jesus who, whose minds are being made dull. When your minds are being made dull, here's what happens. Instead of having the truth of God revealed and accepted in your life, you believe the lies of the world. You believe the lies of the world. You believe the lies of the world because Satan is the author of those lies and Satan came to kill and destroy. Remember? That's what Jesus said in John 10. He came to deceive, to destroy, not to bless, not to help. And so if you've got this veil over your face and you, you don't know the truth of, of what God has to offer you and you don't accept that as true, then what you're doing is you're believing the lies that are out there. See, that was the beginning of the problems that we have in this world. Adam and Eve had the truth. God told them the truth. If you eat the fruit from this tree, what's going to happen? Surely you're going to die. There's no doubt about it. Death will come in if you choose to do that. And Satan whispers in their ear, did God really say that? Oh, that's not the truth. You can eat that fruit. Why would God keep you from eating that fruit? That fruit's good for you. It'll give you wisdom like God has. The knowledge and understanding of good and evil if you eat that fruit. Was there some truth to what Satan said? Absolutely. He always puts a little truth in a lie. Why? Because if you could get a little truth in there, does it become more believable? A little easier to swallow and to accept? Absolutely. So he puts a little truth into the lie so that they will accept it as true, but it's the lie that brought the destruction and the pain and the suffering that came from that. And we're not the first generation to do it. It's been happening for years now, all of the history of mankind. We've got this choice to make. Do we accept the truth of God or do we believe the lies of the world? And the more we believe the lies of the world, the more that deception kills and steals and destroys those who are falling prey to it. Just look at our culture right now. Look at what's happening right here in America, in American culture. Just this past week in the news, so many killings, so many, so many bad things people are doing to each other all the time. Such destructive activity happening all around us. They're believing the lies. And, and part of the problem is, is even those sometimes who are supposed to be teaching young, younger generations better have bought into the lies too. And one of the biggest lies is, 
is we can figure this out ourselves and we don't need God to do it. We don't, know, we don't need God's teachings. We don't need God's restrictions. We don't need God's protective barriers that he's trying to put in his word for us. We don't need that. We can take care of ourselves. After all, people are basically good. Don't you hear that all the time? People are just basically good. Have you read history? At all? Have you just read the news or watched the news on TV this past week? People are not basically good. You know what people are? Flawed by sin. That's what people are. That's what the law was all about. It was to expose the flaws of sin in our lives. And when we're flawed by sin, sin is evil and destructive. It always has been. It always will be. Even if we label it good, even if we promote it, even if we celebrate it, sin always destroys. It always hurts people. Always there's no way around it. That's what sin does. That's the nature of sin. Well, how do you determine what sin is? You've got to determine who's telling you the truth about things. Isn't that right? Is the world telling us the truth about these things or is God telling us the truth about these things? You've got to decide who you believe is telling the truth. In Romans 12, I mean in Romans 1 verse 18, he said this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So here's the thing. If you choose to reject God's truth, there is no excuse for that, is what he's saying, because God has clearly revealed himself to be God. So what you're doing when you choose to believe the lies is you're choosing to reject God as God. That's what you're doing. So he says the wickedness, the, the, the wrath of God is being exercised against those who make that choice. He says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but they're thinking, listen to this, they're thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became what? Now it's easy for us to see this in other people, but we need to examine ourselves too, right? It's easy to point at the other people out there and say, how foolish is that? That's just totally ridiculous. But here's the thing. We're all susceptible to this. All of us are. So we can't just point the fingers at others because even in the church, Talking about generally speaking, uh, around the world, even in the church, people have been deceived into believing the lies and promote the lies that go directly against the clear teaching of the truth of God's word. It's happening around us, all around us, all the time. Uh, and, and, and he says there's no excuse for it because God is clear about who he is. And if he's God, who gets to decide for us? What is good and right and righteous and what is bad and wrong and sinful? If God is God and we believe he's God, then he has the authority to teach us about those things instead of us trying to teach him what we believe about those things. 
Just think about how foolish it is. And there's so many examples. I just want to give you one. And this is not with any mean spirit at all. I love everybody. But listen to this. Okay? We're told to follow the science on so many things, aren't we? Right? But then there are certain things where you say, throw the science out and let your feelings control you. Okay? I'll give you an example. Abortion. If you follow the science, the science is clear. That is an independent individual human being growing inside that, that mother, that, that female. It has its own DNA. It has its own identity, its own organs. It's, it is a human being growing in there. The science proves it beyond any shadow of a doubt. But the argument is an emotional argument to allow women to have abortions. Now, I'm not saying... That, that, that I'm trying to sell the argument here. What I'm saying is if you follow the science like we're told to do in so many other areas, then the science is as clear as it can be that that's a human being. Now, there are other discussions about abortion besides that, but it's clearly a human being there, okay? That's what the science shows. Another case, gender identity. The science, if you follow the science, everyone is either biologically a male or a female, Scientifically speaking, in a simple biology, it's not even hard to determine when it comes to the science. It is as clear as it can be. Every person can be determined bi biologically to either be male or female. There are no other 20-something other genders there. Those are the only two scientifically that exist that you can choose from. Now, what we're doing is saying, well, we know that, but... But emotionally and mentally, they identify as something else. So are you going to follow the science or are you going to follow the feelings? Right? You see how foolish we can get sometimes back and forth on these things? We can just pick and choose which times we want to follow the science and which times we don't want to follow the science. That, that's how we start making ourselves God instead of the one true God is we think we get to control those things and choose those things for ourselves. Then we're putting ourselves on the throne instead of allowing God to be on the throne. Now, I'm not saying we need to, you know, that settles all the arguments. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we could be really foolish about arguments that we use sometimes when we're not consistent with them, but it suits us the way we want it to suit us. Instead of doing that, why don't we let God be God? That's the choice you can make too. You could choose to let God be God and to choose to think and believe his wisdom is greater than mine. And if his wisdom is greater than mine, and here's what he teaches, whether I feel like it or not, I can submit to it. I can accept it as true, even when I don't feel like it. There are things God calls on me to do to discipline my life that I don't feel like doing sometimes. How about you? Are there some things you don't feel like doing that God says this is the right thing to do? I mean, I don't mean all the time, but I mean at the moment you don't feel like doing it, right? You're tempted at the moment. It looks good at the moment. You'd like to do it at the moment, but you know God says don't go there. So should you let your emotions control you or the truth of God and let God be God? What he says is, is the longer we walk in Christ and listen to his word and allow his teachings to fill our lives, the wiser we become. You know why? Because the wisdom of God begins to come into our hearts and our minds, and we start thinking about things the way God thinks about things. We start looking at things the way God looks at things. 
He always looks at them through the eyes of love, but also through the eyes of truth. And we can do both of those things as we get the wisdom of God. And so in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know that's my life verse. Have I mentioned that before? Yeah, I have. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is my life verse. It has been for a long, long time. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, listen to what he says about that. This is your true and proper worship. So if we're going to claim to be God worshipers, then what we have to do is get ourselves off of the altar, off of the throne, and put ourselves on the altar of sacrifice. That means our feelings, our emotions, all of that needs to be taken off the throne and put onto the altar of sacrifice. So now we're willing to surrender ourselves as living sacrifices because that's how you worship God. Not by trying to overrule him, not by trying to change what he teaches and say it doesn't matter now, we can do it this way. That's not how you worship God. The way you worship God is surrendering to his authority and to his teachings in your life. That's how you worship God. And so he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you do that, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you get to where you can determine God's will? By the renewing of your mind. Well, what's the renewing of your mind about? It's about learning what God teaches about those things, so you begin to think about them the way God does. That's the renewing of your mind. You don't do that by adopting the ways of the world. You do that by adopting the teachings of Christ. When you adopt the teachings of Christ, your mind changes in the way you think about things, and you begin to grow into the wisdom of God himself. So can you make better choices with God's wisdom? Absolutely. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. That's why the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Even when we fall short, even when we fail, under the new covenant, we have the grace covering of the blood of Jesus. So it's not about perfection, but it is about a decision to come under and surrender to the teachings of God in your life. That's how you grow into being able to dwell in the presence of the glory of God in your life, which leads to the third thing, which is an amazing thing. It's the opposite of what people think. It leads to an increasing freedom in Christ, an increasing freedom. Let's look again at verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is restriction. Is that what it says? There is condemnation. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? Freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. For the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You know what the freedom is? It's being in the grace of God. It's knowing and experiencing the grace of God. Because here's what you all know, if you're honest at all with yourselves, you know you failed and I have failed more than once to live up to the perfection of a glorious God that we serve. We all know that. We all know that we're, we're less than him. We all know that. And so if we're going to be able to dwell in his presence, we know 
that, that what needs to happen is, is God needs to, to provide for us what we can't provide for ourselves. And he's done that in Jesus so that now we are free from the guilt and the shame of the failures of our lives. And we are free to be bold and confident moving forward, honoring God with our lives. The more we learn, the better decisions we make. And the more we begin to trust God, the more we'll step out and be obedient to God. And the more we'll enjoy God's blessings. And there's freedom there. I don't have to do what everybody else is doing. I don't have to believe what everybody else is believing. I don't have to get caught up in the stuff they're getting caught up in. I don't have to believe the lies anymore that the world is trying to tell me. I'm free from that now. Because I have the truth of God in my life. And that truth sets you free, truly sets you free from the destruction of the lies of Satan in your life. That is true freedom. When you walk in that freedom, it's no longer about the old law and keeping all the rules. Now it's about understanding that what Jesus teaches us in his word, he does so out of love and out of wisdom and out of this place of wanting only what's best for you. What a, what a different perspective than just feeling like you're bound by the law, right? Instead, you know, I've got this Savior who loves me so much. He's told me the truth about the stuff to keep me from getting hurt anymore to keep me from hurting other people anymore with the lies that I was believing before. Now I'm free to, to live a blessed life the way God wants me to. doesn't mean I'm not going to have trouble. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems. It means I know the truth about it now. And I know they don't conquer. I know they don't win. I know Jesus wins. And in Christ, I can have his victory in my life. In Matthew 22, we have an account of a lawyer questioning Jesus. And he has this question for him. Look at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the question is packed full of a lot of potential danger for Jesus, right? I mean, the people asking the question are already trying to, to get him to say something wrong. They're already trying to trick him into saying something they could use against him. And, and the Jewish leaders were very much, of course, advocates of the law. Not only God's law, but they had added hundreds of laws of their own to God's law and said, everybody's got to keep them all or you're not pleasing to God, right? And so Jesus answers with the greatest wisdom. It's so amazing. Jesus replied in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says, I can tell you the starting point for all your whole life. The thing that should be the guide for your whole life. What is it? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know why that's such a big deal? Because if you really love God, how you treat his teachings, his guidance, his wisdom, will you welcome it or will you fight against it? You'll welcome it, right? Because you love him so much. And you know he loves you so much. So if you start out loving God this way, then you are wanting him to guide you. You're wanting him to teach you. You're wanting him to help you negotiate through all these hard choices you have to make with his wisdom because you love him so much. He said, well, then he didn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. 
If you love God well, you know what's going to allow you to start doing better? Loving people well. Loving people well. You see, when you love God the way you need to love God, and you, you acknowledge that his wisdom is greater than yours, and you're willing to accept that guidance that he's given you, Jesus set us the greatest example of what it means to love others, didn't he? So as we love God and learn from God, we see the example of Jesus of how to love others well. Jesus broke all the barriers that the world had set up. He broke the gender barrier by loving and, and like, look at the Samaritan woman at the well, right? In that one encounter, he broke all kinds of barriers. First of all, he walked through Samaria. No righteous Jewish leader would have walked through Samaria on that trip. But he chose to go through Samaria. Different race, different ethnicity, hated by the Jews, yet Jesus went there intentionally. And then he talked to a woman in the middle of the day out at the well. And again, Jewish teachers didn't do that. That was not accepted. That was their law. You don't do that. That wasn't God's law, but that was a law man had come up with. You don't talk to a woman, a female, that's not your wife, out in public in the middle of the day like that. In addition to that, we know this woman was known by reputation to have been divorced all those times and be living with somebody she's not married to. And what does Jesus still do? He still sits down at the well, talks to her, asks her for a drink of water, and teaches her about the kingdom of God. He broke all the barriers when it came to loving other people well. So if we accept his wisdom as being the guide for our lives because we love him so much, then what are we going to learn to do? We're going to learn to do what Jesus did. We're going to learn to love other people well. No matter who they are, where they come from, what, what lifestyle they're living right now, we're still going to learn to love them well. You don't have to compromise the truth to do that. Jesus didn't compromise any truth to love that woman at the well. And he didn't commit any sin to love that woman at the well. You don't have to do that. And he didn't condone her sin in any way, but he still loved her and cared for her. And it made such an impact on her Here's what happens to us when we, when we learn this. I'm going to close with this. Listen to what happened. This woman went into town and brought a whole bunch of people back to see Jesus. Remember the story? She said, you've got to come and listen to this guy. You've got to come and see this guy. You've got to come and listen to what he's saying. He's amazing, right? She became a huge evangelist for Jesus in that town. But the disciples had just been to that same town to buy food. Remember the story? How many people did they bring back to see Jesus? Zero. You see how we miss the boat sometimes? We get so caught up in the legal things of doing all the right things that we miss loving people the way we need to love people. You don't have to choose one or the other. You can have both. You can have the truth of the teachings of God. You can love people well. Because those are the greatest commandments. And all the law and the prophets hang on those.